just checking if is everyone's audio fine i think we can start then yeah it's nice to see you david in person i know this is great (laughs) (laughs) we've never spoken properly before this is exactly yeah we can use that and we can use that in uh, when we start hey there cats and kittens welcome to episode three of cab talk here to fill the void that finishing tiger king has left in your life this month we speak to Marilyn Pavan of Lancetech, who shares her story with us in how computer-aided biology is revolutionizing the biotech world. If you want to learn more about the computer-aided biology community, go to computeraidedbiology.com. So um, in our previous podcast, we visited SPT LabTech, where we sat down in a physical room together with Toby Jenkins, Director of Product Development. Today, we are in a virtual room. For the first time, we're recording the Computer Biology podcast, Cap Talk, remotely. And we're here today with Marilyn Pavan from Lanzatech in Skokie, Illinois, in the US. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Yeah. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Now I finally uh, have a routine in place to work. And in the middle of this whole pandemic, it's it's still hard because it's not possible to not think about it, you know, and not only from the uh, science part and societal part, but also we keep thinking about our families and friends and I come from from Brazil, so it's a different country, different reality. Puts a different dimension on things as well, right? Because it's not just, okay, for us scientists, it's more like, okay, it's interesting, but it's also like the whole emotional aspect as well, as you mentioned with family and friends. Exactly. So so it's hard, you know. It's not only that you are working from home. It's you are working from home because of of a pandemic. (laughs) And this is the first, uh, is it every 100 years or so? They say there's a pandemic for us. So for everyone, it's the first, uh, I think it's the first big pandemic that, we, uh, that we're facing. I guess, right? So we, we had like a taste, quote unquote, <laughs> of it with the H1N1, uh, but yeah. nothing, I guess, similar to that. <laughs> no, absolutely. What we are living now, yeah. Good. It's the but, first, yeah. But are you, are you getting used to the, the virtual working, the remotely, the, the meetings that we're having now? Is that something that you're getting used to? You know that I am actually enjoying it, mm. I would say, because it seems that I'm more, I'm more in touch with people than I was before. Yeah. And this is professionally and personally. So professionally, for example... Uh, it's the first time that I'm seeing David. <laughs> and we have, Fantastic. And we have, yeah. I know. And we have contact. We've been contacted for so much time. And now uh, we can manage to see each other and be in this podcast. I guess it's creating opportunities for bonding and for and creating good stuff. Uh, this whole virtual environment that we are getting used to, to that. I, I cannot see a, a disadvantage of it. Uh, it's for me to be amazing. I've been in contact with the team at Lanzatech all the time. Actually, even if I am living far from my family for so long now, it seems that now this whole environment, virtual environment, mm. uh, is making people be more in contact. So yeah. I'm talking more with my friends and family. So yeah, there, there are for me only good things about this whole zoom virtual <laughs> meetings <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah lovely thank you so much for taking the time to join us how did you get into science and uh how has your scientific journey been so far looking back in my past uh i can see that i always i've been always exposed to to science somehow uh, especially biology and this is I'm thinking back when I was a, a, a child and uh, I used to live uh, in Sao Paulo Brazil which is a big big city mm-hmm. but our home was kind of like a oasis uh, from the big city which we had so many plants and animals birds uh, cats dogs uh Turtles, uh, we had a really big cage of birds that we would see uh, laying eggs and raising birds and things like that. And we were always planting a lot of different stuff. 
And for me, it was always amazing to see things uh, being born, you know, mm. or <laughs> sprouting. Or <laughs> uh, for me, it was kind of natural to pursue biology when I when I left high school. And then it was a, a little bit hard to get into, into the university because I didn't have the money to pay for university. Mm. And then... The best universities in Brazil are the public ones. Uh, it's the it's the opposite what happens uh, kind of happens here in United States. And so I had to enter a university that was free, and I started my biology course, and then I started first year in a, an internship, a scientific internship. That was my my first. Uh, contact sure. with science, uh, hands-on science. Was biology popular in that time? The people around you, or were there just a few people in the classes? Oh my god, no! I I, I had the worst time to, to <laughs> get into the university because Dolly the ship was just happening, so oh, yeah. everybody wanted to go to the to biology uh, classes. That made everything in my life more difficult as well. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so it was pretty popular at that time so you were in sao paulo you went to university and then how, how what happened then after university did you go straight into working or yeah so this university was like 40 miles far from sao paulo in a city named campinas state university of campinas then i finished my course there and at the end of my my course I was studying development biology. In my university in Campinas, they didn't have a very strong uh, group at that time uh, working with development biology. Today, they are referenced on that, but not at that time. So I went back to Sao Paulo City to pursue my master's degree in uh, cardiac uh, development, uh, heart development at uh, University of Sao Paulo. And then I started to to study mainly human genetics or molecular biology of congenital heart diseases there. And at that time, I was engaged uh, with my my husband. And when I finished my master, I went back to Campinas uh, and I married him. And it was easier for me to move back to Campinas because I was just finishing my master. And yeah. uh, he had a job already, a uh, consolidated job. And so I went back to Campinas. And at that time, I wasn't sure if I wanted to pursue my PhD because for me, the the uh, my master was pretty traumatic. <laughs> it wasn't... <laughs> You if your master's the... traumatic, your PhD is going to be even more traumatic. <laughs> oh, don't tell me about it. <laughs> it was traumatic because I didn't have a good relationship with my advisor, yeah. uh, to be honest. Um, that was the worst part. And after that, uh, I just put in my mind that I, I always, rather than the project or the job, I would prefer to work with like nice and good people. So I always prioritize after that experience to work with yeah. good people. And then I see what this project is about, what this job is about, because that, that was pretty traumatic. So I wasn't sure if I wanted to go to pursue a PhD or if I wanted to go to the industry to yeah. have like a sense of what is about working in industry. So I guess it was more like what you said later. Uh, it was, am I going to do a PhD or am I going to go to the industry? And the fact that I didn't like my experience in my master's, I guess, contributed to this decision. So I decided to go to the industry and having the two, uh, the two experiences, I would decide if I prefer, I would prefer to go to academic research or the uh, industry path. Yeah. So I got hired by Monsanto to work with sugarcane uh, breeding and they wanted me uh, because that's, that's I a had transition, a... right? That's a transition. I know. From I know. Into... 
Is that, is that a specific reason for that? Or? Yes, yes. So they were looking for a person that had expertise in molecular genetics, in molecular okay. biology. I had a specific expertise in single nucleotide polymorphisms, mm -hmm. and they were looking into this uh, in sugarcane breeding. So that, that's why uh, it kind of fits yeah. Uh, what I was doing uh, with human genetics and sugarcane breeding. Yeah, the molecular genetics and, and single nucleotide polymorphisms were the, the bridge to these two worlds. Mm. And then I moved to the soy division inside the company to put together a new uh, laboratory. And that was my first contact with automation, to be honest, because it was okay. a, a laboratory to collect uh, samples of seeds in an automated way. How, yeah. how was that? How was that experience? Because the transition from manual to automation. How was that for yeah. you? Um, it was harder than I thought it would be. Okay. Because always now I understand why people are always think. Okay, you said to me that automation comes to help me to facilitate my life. Yeah. But in some sense, it makes more difficult. So at that time, I could understand uh, why people say that today. So, of course, after I managed to learn everything about it, mm. of course, my life was better. It, would, <laughs> it wouldn't be possible to, to do what the machines did uh, by hand. The learning curve was pretty steep. Okay. Um, May I ask what year this was? 2011. Okay. Yeah. Not that far off. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just curious because is it something that maybe... I haven't thought about it in, in quite yeah. some time. So, it, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I feel yeah. old now. <laughs> yeah, that was 2011-ish, yeah. Okay, And Yeah, so uh, to be honest, the, the whole experience to put together a laboratory from scratch and work with automation, which I never did before, that was super, super cool. Okay. I guess I like this kind of situation where it's everything is super challenging and super, I don't know, um, I get excited about it, yeah. you know. But after that, when the site was pretty manageable and, and everything was in place, everything got in a routine that I wasn't happy about it, you yeah. know. And I was missing, I was so in the management part that I was missing biology. I was missing science already, yeah, you yeah. know. It's always and, 16, you're right, isn't it? You can't just get rid of science. You can't just have a normal, different job and then... No, you cannot. Yeah. <laughs> no, I understand completely what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You cannot. It's so hard. Especially when you are young, you know, and it, when you, you are younger. It, it's pretty hard. I, I didn't think that it was time to, to just go to a management role and, yeah. and just... Yeah, do not have science in my life again. And then I got hired um, by Brascam. Brascam is a petrochemical company. It's the biggest petrochemical company in, in uh, Latin America. Okay. And then they had this renewable chemical division uh, where they were trying to produce some chemicals that are produced from petroleum uh, using sugarcane fermentation for it. Okay. So I started in this renewable chemical division as a scientist working with metabolic engineering. I first started with propioni bacteria, uh, which is a no-model microorganism, pretty hard to work with. And then yeast E. coli to produce these this chemicals. At that time, in our laboratory, the processes were pretty artisanal. Uh, we didn't have uh, ways to organize our inventory. We didn't have molecular tools that uh, would help us to speed up our processes and make it more efficient we didn't have software tools to help us with the design and everything at that time this was 2013 yeah. something like that i got in charge of the synthetic biology project so my manager came to me and she said oh there's this uh, paper modular cloning could you take a look and talk with people around and see what is going on in the synthetic biology field and i was yeah of course and again was that your was that your first introduction into synthetic biology that's correct okay 
That's correct. And it changed my life. There is before that and after that in my professional life. It opened doors to me uh, to first understand better what it was synthetic biology and all these awesome tools that we have uh, attached to synthetic biology. It also marks uh, they start my start having connections with people outside Brazil as well. So at that time, uh, Berkeley and the JB Institute were the main, I guess, hubs for synthetic biology that I knew about okay. uh, with the Seenberg uh, conferences and everything that I started to attend. So I started uh, partnerships with Professor Nathan Hilson at JB with Professor Douglas Densmore at Boston University for the software part. I did an inter- internship at J Bay with Professor Nathan as well. So all started to crazily good happen to me uh, when I started this uh, synthetic biology projects. Yeah. Especially for the software part, we didn't have much in our lab and I didn't know about, about it at all. So these were the main, the key points, the key people that I was looking for, people from the software part especially. Okay, is there a specific reason that it was software related? Yeah, because I didn't know didn't know nothing about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So just by reading the papers, uh, Gibson, modular cloning, other Golden Gate based techniques, just by reading it, because of my expertise, I could translate in actual experiments in our lab uh, relatively easy. Yeah. But with the software, it, it wasn't possible because I didn't know about it. I had no expertise at all in any software and we didn't have the capacity in our lab to build our own tools. So okay. we had to have this kind of partnerships uh, to bring these tools from academia to uh, industry and have this at our disposal in our laboratory. So I guess this, this, these are the two main reasons. We didn't have the capacity to build them in our lab. And also I didn't know about it. I okay. didn't know nothing about it. So yeah, yeah, I really had to rely on their expertise to understand it better. The, when did you make the leap then from, uh, from Brazil into, into the U.S.? So that's a good question. In 2015... We had a big, big economical crisis in Brazil. Mm. Everything, all all the research uh, grants and uh, financial support were were being cut. And then uh, our laboratory kind of shrank. Mm. I was, okay, I always had this wish or desire to move abroad and have this kind of experience. And then when this all happened, this whole crisis happened, it was a political uh, crisis as well. Our president got impeached and Mm. it was just a mess. The country was a mess at that time. I was talking with the professors that I had contact in the U.S. And I thought maybe it's the time to realize this, to make it happen, this wish of moving abroad. And then Professor Densmore invited to join his laboratory as a researcher. This was the end of 2015. I participated in all the hiring process. And in February 2016, he told me that I, I had passed. So I, I oh, nice. got accepted. Yes. And was, it, was, it, was, it, was it hard to get in? For me, it was hard. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't know if the, from the other people' point of view, uh, it was hard. If there were many competition or lots of interviews, and yeah. <laughs> that was hard. Okay. Yeah, okay. and I still struggle struggle with my English. So at that time, it was even worse. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I was very nervous. Okay. Good. You joined this group, and it was an academic group. It's an academic group at Boston University. The group, uh, it's called, it was called Cider Lab. And I joined, when I joined, it was only me and a PhD student from the biology part. It's Mm -hmm. mostly a group composed by software and hardware engineers. Okay. Okay. Uh, Just perfect for you, right? That was perfect perfect for you. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect, yeah, in some sense, because 
I was learning about software at Braskem and hardware because we had a Hamilton robot there as well. So I was uh, being responsible to automate all, all of our protocols. But being in a group where you are the only one biologist or one yeah. of the two biologists, that, that's completely different. Yeah, it's another beast. Our main goal was to translate the needs of biologists to the software developers, you know, and okay. hardware developers. Yeah. Uh, in case of Cider Lab, it was mainly microfluidics on the hardware side. And also to test the tools that they were developing at the bench. Mm. But that, that was my main role until we moved to another building at BU. And then we decided to uh, start another lab in addition to the CIDR lab, which was called DAMP lab. DAMP lab was design automation manufacturing and prototyping lab. So this lab was meant to be a service center. And then I, I was responsible to uh, put the site up and running, this laboratory up and running. So mm. since the logo up to... <laughs> the centrifuge that was everything yeah. was on me right on um those. that was yeah. really really nice <laughs> really good, nice good, good, good. yeah yeah that was good so we had this software tool operating uh developed by the university of washington it's called aquarium and this software controls inventory and manages experiments as well so we were uh, providing and I had to uh, put together the business plan for the lab as well and work with the university to make it a service center uh, mm -hmm. for real yeah that, that was pretty nice as well and we also used this space to train people so okay. we had this program called STEM Pathways uh, it's an outreach program so we used this space to train people the new generation in synthetic biology as well which was another thing that I used to love to do Mm. So is that teaching them a little bit about the coding, the hardware, biology, everything? Everything. Everything. Yeah, it depended on the skills or the interests of the students. We would focus more on biology, hardware, or software. Mm. So what, what, what do you think, um, because I, I've, uh, when we spoke to Joby in the last podcast, you mentioned as well the, the difference between biologists and using hardware, and let's, for example, say the engineers behind the hardware, that designing different protocols or executing experiments. What do you think is, is the biggest challenge for people to work with, to be a biologist and work with hardware or for a hardware engineer or software engineer to work on biology? Mm -hmm. That's a really, really good question because this was another, I would say that this was another breaking point in my career. When I started to work with the software and hardware people, I found my, that myself, I had kind of uh, easy to understand and translate what they were saying and vice versa. Usually this kind of conversation, this two-way conversation is very frustrating mm. because I guess people don't take the time to actually understand what the other is saying, which yeah. why they are struggling to understand what you are saying. I guess it lacks a little bit of patience, you know, mm. and you have to put some, some work yeah. to really understand and make yourself understanding uh, yeah. In the sense that you are, what you are trying to explain. So I guess I have this kind of patience. <laughs> <laughs> we all need to, that patience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it can be really, really frustrating. Yeah. So for example, today at Lanzatech, one of my uh, roles is to be this bridge between software developers, computational, com uh, computing biology people, and uh, the synthetic biology group, because it can be really hard. Yeah. And I guess another fact that it was only me and another person working as a biologist uh, and communicating with the rest of the team, it helps as well. Because if you have 10 synthetic biologists trying to uh, talk with 10 computing biologists yeah. and uh, or things like that, it's just a confusion, you know, yeah. it's just mixed signals and everything. So I guess you have to have one person that can be the bridge between these two words instead of having... 10 biologists trying to understand 10 software engineers. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I would say a little bit of patience, trying to identify which person would be the point of contact between these two words, just to facilitate uh, this whole communication aspect. I guess it helps a lot, mm. according to me, with my experience. Tell us more a little bit about uh, working at Lanzatech then and the Lanzatech Biofoundry. And I guess your role as the bridge between these two worlds of uh, software and, and biology. Lanzatech is really... It's a really a particular case in terms of biofoundries because our microorganism is a strict anaerobic. So if you take a look in our biofoundry, it's a whole foundry completely enclosed, oxygen-free. Okay. So if it's difficult to work with automation sometimes, imagine if it's completely enclosed and you just can reach it in by using rubber gloves. So <laughs> it's wild. But I don't see how, and this is not only about Lanzatech, but at other places as well. I don't know how we are going to make biology faster if not using automation. And for us at Lanzatech, this is a reality as well. There's mm. no way we can continue with artisanal bench scale generic engineering mm. and hope to get our products in an in a economical, feasible uh, fast way. Why is that? Is it is it because the science has outpaced the uh, the tools, or is it so that, as you just say, it's just impossible to grow it because yeah, it's just growing, 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 and growing, and we're just not keeping up. It's so hard to make the microorganism to produce what we want if it doesn't produce naturally, right? Mm, in, yeah, in nature. So you have to modify this microorganism so many times in so many ways. And then when you get them to produce what you want, you have to fine-tune it to, uh, to produce it in a scalable way. Uh, so when you talk about it, you are talking about thousands or, I don't know, millions of different modifications that you have to do in order to get this microorganism to produce yeah. what he wants, not what he was, he has evolved to produce, you know. So that's why I don't see how we can work without automation because we have to, to modify this microorganism so many times that it's not possible to do, to do it bench scale. Mm. And also when you have automation producing so many data, I don't see how we as human beings can understand and analyze this data by ourselves instead of using a software tool so i don't see science at least in our field yeah at least that for metabolic engineering i don't see it decoupled of automation anymore yeah so so when it comes to automation a lot of people see basically two reasons for doing it one is the high throughput as you just mentioned so yeah. many different experiments and then the other hand is the complexity it's it's the the finding out what different combinations you can get to, as you say to get the best yield is that the same thing for Lancet? like is it really like the throughput and complexity is that exactly the same thing for us yeah so for throughput we rely on automation tools right for uh and i mean hardware for it uh so we are trying to scale up we are trying to scale up and uh decrease our costs we are trying to uh free our researchers to do more meaningful intellectual things mm -hmm. uh, and everything else that automation in, in comprises. But at the same time, uh, when you talk about design of experiments and then it goes with complexity. Uh, so at this, this process, I'm talking more about software. So we are working with a company called Decelagen to design our software and build our software tool for the design, build, test, and learn cycle. And the idea is that we are going to uh, funnel or narrow our design space by analyzing the test data that we are collecting in mm. the cycle. You know what I mean? So you have this design and you do, I don't know, a thousand of different constructs. You test them and uh, you analyze this data and then use this data to produce the next set of design. And hopefully this uh, whole landscape is going to be uh, narrower and narrower uh, each time until you get to your perfect bug. So that's the general idea. Yeah. yeah. We, we kind of glossed over it, but... Uh... 
tell us more what Lanzatech does. Mm-hmm. Why, obviously, all of this uh, microbial engineering and automation is is relevant to it. Yeah, uh, I guess what Lanzatech does was the main reason I joined the company. So Lanzatech has this microorganism, this proprietary uh, microorganism, which uses CO as carbon source. It ferments based on CO as carbon source and produces ethanol. So the idea is to collect the CO, this carbon, from different sources, uh, from different feedstock. And it can be waste of any kind. It's pretty agnostic uh, in terms of from where the CO is coming from. So just to give an example, we have this commercial plant that was launched in 2018. There are some pipes, uh, some fermenters close to this commercial plant, which is a steel mill in China. So we have these pipes connecting this gas stream coming from the steel mill, which produces a lot of CO that otherwise would go to the atmosphere. And we channel this uh, CO to these fermenters containing our proprietary microorganism, and it does ferment this CO and produce the ethanol uh, on the other side. So the whole idea is to capture and recycle this CO that would go to the atmosphere and produce some something that is useful for us. And by this way, we help with this uh, to tackle climate change at the same time. Yeah. That's the general idea. And that's why I mostly joined the company. I, I think it's... It's amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah. So this is quite interesting because when we talk about computer biology, everyone thinks straight about biology in like the medicine uh, area. But um, one of the reasons that I really wanted to speak to you as well is as exactly what you mentioned, sustainability. Uh, yeah. and, and how biology also contributes to climate change and, and all these problems that we've got in our, uh, in our environments. Where do you see the big impact of your Lanzatex products being applied to? So first, we are working with transportation, mm. right? Uh, so this ethanol that is being produced in China comes back to the U.S. And we have a site in Georgia, close to Atlanta. We use this ethanol to produce jet fuel, which mm. is a big uh, pollutant as well. So, but it, it's pretty agnostic actually because ethanol can give. Can we can produce plastic from ethanol, right? So we could go uh, this this road as well, this path as well. The main interesting thing in this whole process is to make it circular, right? Is to make a circular um, bioeconomy. So if you are producing ethanol and you are producing plastic, uh, you can either recycle this plastic or you. You could, in the future, burn this plastic and use the CO being uh, the carbon being liberated as a as a uh, feedstock for our microorganism and produce more ethanol. So the mm-hmm. idea, I guess, in summary, is to close this cycle yeah. and do not allow uh, any carbon to go uh, to the atmosphere anymore. Okay, interesting. But you do something <laughs> as well, like you're communicating a lot of what you're doing at Lanza Tech to your environment yeah i guess every time that i had a ch- i have a chance to do it i'll do it you know because first i'm really proud of what i'm doing and what the company is doing and i guess it's important that other people know about it as well one of the main reasons why i do that why i want more people to know about that is that i want them first to believe in science hmm. i want second to the new generation to believe in science and pursue a career in science. We need these people. Mm. So I really want to to advise uh, to advertise to them what we do and show them. See, this is important. This is this can be really cool. You can make a difference. So please pursue a career in STEM. Um, and also, I want more people, as you said, so people know up lot about pharmaceutical companies uh when they when you talk about science you think about medical research research as well uh in pharmaceutical research uh, which is great and really important but i really want to other people know that synthetic biology and automation and um 
software and all this research is being applied for to tackle climate change, to produce renewable chemicals. Yeah. And using your expertise then, as like you've always been a big advocate for women in STEM and getting the younger people to get interested in science for every other reason. That's how I came across you, I think, firstly on, on Twitter. It's because you were big in the science <laughs> communication field and you were just... And you had a, a very powerful, very positive message. And I thought, I like that. Uh, what, <laughs> what advice do you have for me and Fane? You know, Fane's putting his heart and soul now into, into building this computer-aided biology community. I'm trying to chip in. we're trying to build a nice community around computer-aided biology and uh what advice can you give to try and engage people and bring in people Mm -hmm. a a very diverse group of people as well because that's what Mm -hmm. the community needs yeah it's a hard question because we have to break this homogeneity Mm. somehow because Let's say, because we don't have too much diversity in the field, we don't have too many role models. Yeah. Uh, and this is really hard because if you don't have, if I don't have someone, a woman that is successful and it's a Latin American woman that is successful in this field, if you don't have people of color that is successful in this field, if I'm going to talk with a, a, another person that is like a white man, let's say that I'll, I'll go to talk with a white man uh, about career and everything related. It's not, I always had very, very good advisors in this sense, but it's not the same. You know, mm-hmm. you were not going to have the same experiences as I had, and I'm not going to have the same experiences as you had. Though I'm from Latin America, if a black person comes to talk to me, I don't have the same experiences that this person had. So we need more whole models mm-hmm. in this field. We need more people that other people can can look and see, oh, if she can do it, if he can do it, I can do it. Yeah. We need more role models to actually provide this kind of advices. You know what I mean? So, okay, my English is not perfect. How, how you manage that? I can ask to another person that is not an English uh, yeah. native speaker. Uh, how you manage that? Experiences matter. So we have to have more people with different ranges of experiences in life, professionally and personally, to provide advice to others. And then this is going to be, I guess, the career of changes in diversity, of increase increase in diversity. So I I really want to see more. But how we get this diversity, right? So so it's hard to, to break this cycle. And in this sense, I guess, and this is another reason why I talk, talk, talk about it, <laughs> is because we have to, <laughs> to talk about it. Um, so when I was in the SymbioBeta conference last year, I was moderating the human and science uh, panel. And it was a consensus that bias plays a big role preventing more diversity in the area. So I guess, and we do that without even notice. So it's not that people are doing, of course, it might have people that are doing this on purpose, but I guess I I have the faith that the majority of people are not doing this on purpose, uh, but we have this bias in place. And I believe that the more we talk about it, the more we we make people aware that this exists and it can happen, even yeah. without being on purpose, the better we get people aware and more uh, self-aware that they might be doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if I've been clear, but... Oh, I uh, think it's a strong message because um, I, I, I feel quite similar to what you just said because I'm from a, a Black background and I had exactly mm-hmm. this problem when I was studying. I had no role model. I had yes. great peers. I had great mentors. Great, uh, yes. But it's exactly what you said. It's difficult to explain to them, wow, this is the issue that I had because I'm colored or this is the issue that I'm had because I'm not a native English speaker. And, and yes. bringing that up is, is so important because what you just said is you could, you could easily go out and have a great career. I could easily go out now and have a great career. But it's really for us that have experienced that, to so putting that back into a community and saying, hey, 
this is exactly how role models should be looking like, or this is other things that you need to be working on. So it's important that we do give back to uh, the next generation, 100%. Exactly. We, we have to be very, very self, self-aware. Yeah. If it, it's not an excuse, being busy is not an excuse, you know. <laughs> we always can have some, dedicates quite some time to advocate or advise others, be a mentor or uh, dedicate uh, to inspire other generation. Yeah. Being busy, it's definitely not an excuse. We have to be aware that we need to give it back yeah. uh, to society in general. Awesome, yeah. So also, um, Marilyn, I've just, I've just recalled uh, one of the conversations we had previously, and uh, you, you, you talked a lot about integration, and you emphasized on we need to integrate tools, we need to integrate people. Um, it looks like you've got a really strong opinion about integration, uh, and especially like related to computer-aided biology. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Yeah. Um, so one thing is that what I was saying about integrate people, so because it's so frustrating, uh, this communication between biologists and software and hardware uh, engineers sometimes and developers, it's so, it can be difficult, it can be frustrated, frustrating, it can delay development, you know. Mm. And for me, it's especially frustrating because I see the potential, especially with uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning and design, all those tools make it our design more informed it's frustrating to see that it could advance more like faster in this sense and because of communication usually it delays things if it's bad communication Mm. but another thing that i that i want to like to mention about integration is that there are so many groups work in software and they have pieces of it and when and and this is it happened when I, while I was at Braskem, so I need a piece for my design, and then I go to a laboratory or a company, and this company has the design piece, but they do not have the build and learn pieces. Then I have to go to another group, yeah. and then this group is really to work in machine learning but they do not know how to generate work lists for my robots so i have to go to another company another uh university and ask for this piece this integration and this is not only me that that was a big concern and a big source of frustration when i put together the iwbma conference biomanufacturing automation conference we had some working groups to discuss software and computer-aided biology, and they were always complaining, okay, I don't have all the tools that I need. Yeah. I have to go to several different places to get the tools that I need. So this kind of integration is something that is missing as well, which I think is normal because we have different expertises. We have different business plans. The universities groups are focused in uh, what they want to focus. But how to solve this, how to integrate all these expertises, uh, yeah. it's something that I am always thinking about. You yeah. know, how, how we best integrate and make like the whole package, yeah. you know. This is very interesting because, David, if you can remember when we spoke to Joby, you mentioned that um, they collaborate a lot with, so they're a hardware vendor, they collaborate a lot with uh, people working on the software side, um, people working on the on the design or builds. And he was telling that That's there's true. no one one best, was it one-stop shop for yeah. all the best pieces. But the thing mm-hmm. what he mentioned is that these are the companies that are working together. Is that something that you'll be looking for rather than you need to go to one company, then go another, then go to another? Or when you oh. say you have a problem and you go to a company and they say, well, we collaborate with this company that can help you work on that. Is it, is it that way or is it the whole picture? Absolutely. Collaboration, I guess, especially with this new, I hope this new COVID-19 uh, scenario bring us the importance of collaboration. Hmm. I'm totally into collaboration. I, I actually, one of my best, uh, the best parts of my job, one of the best parts of my job is when I have to have to collaborate with other people <laughs> and establish new partnerships because it's it's so nice to have 
this different expertise in the same room, working together in the yeah. same project. So yeah, collaboration definitely uh, plays a role. But another thing that is complicated about collaboration is, and we saw this during the discussions we carried uh, during the conference, the WBMA conference is that how we do that because I have company A, I have company B, I have company C, they all want to work together, but they have different business plans. They have exactly. uh, different IP policies and different, market. um, yeah. different markets. They have different customers. So uh, if I want a, a tool that, works with uh, Golden Gate Assembly, uh, the other customer wants it for Gibson, uh, and so on. So I really like that kind of uh, situation where you have, um, what's the name, the IP, that, the IP model that was developed by uh, to sharing. Uh, uh, oh, Protocols.io? That protocols? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Okay. When you have this kind of platform or, I don't know, some kind of IP um proposal that could be adopted by different companies easily adopt if it's possible you know uh, by different companies but i mean uh, just the fact that the companies are different from each other in terms of business and ip and market and everything it makes collaboration sometimes difficult so I'm wondering if we can make it, this is another question as well, how we can collaborate with each other without so many roadblocks, so many difficulties imposed by the market, you know. But like you mentioned with the COVID-19 response, everybody in automation and biology seem to be coming together to do what they can. What's been your take on everything that's happening in that area? Oh my God, it's so amazing. So I'm part of this Slack channel. They are trying to adapt some protocols for it, especially to, uh, for diagnosis. So how to use NGS, uh, RNA extraction, RT-PCR, everything using automation. So they are discussing 24-7 uh, on how to automate and they are ex- exchanging protocols and expertise and everything to get to the point where we have faster, more portable and uh, cheaper ways to identify the coronavirus, they are working all the time, 24-7 on this and using automation and software, apply software and automation for this as well. So since questions of how we use our robots to pipettes in tubes containing swabs up to how we are going to deliver these results to the to the players, uh, everything in between they are working with. So yeah. it, it's pretty amazing how we get this whole scientific community. And it's, it's a number of people. It's more than 200 people in this yeah. channel, only in this channel working with this. So yeah, we have a great capacity of coming together to solve big problems. And I guess we should take advantage of this to the other problems as well that we are going to face in the near future. I think I think also the big problem here is uh, is time. Normally, when you want to collaborate and want to think about things, everyone like, okay, you need to go to that person or you need to get that sign off now because <laughs> everyone wants yeah. quick to what has going on with COVID. Everything is very fast paced. Everything is quick. Everyone collaborates. There's you don't need to go up to your boss and sign a document or whatever. You just go straight yeah. to speak to. So there's a way, right? So it seems uh, that there's a way to make it happen way, for other things. <laughs> We need to panic first and we need something to happen. (laughs) Yeah, I guess the main uh, lesson that we can learn is how to make it happen without the panic Mm. uh, background. What happened in this collaboration that should happen more often or shouldn't happen at all that we can use in our uh, day-by-day, in our daily lives, in our daily scientific lives. uh, But without having this panic behind it, you know, at least not the way that we are seeing that, for example, climate change, people should be very worried about it. Yeah. But the panic is, it's a different situation, right? So, but we should... Direct panic. Exactly. Direct 
Exactly. But we should get some learnings from this COVID situation, how these collaborations, how we are getting people so involved, how we can get people working very fast in a problem, but without this panic uh, situation. You know what I mean? Because some problems do not arise this kind of panic as COVID Mm. is being, being. At least it's made a lot of initial connections which might be the start of something new, which might be the only hope, I think, that we get out of it for the future. Yeah, 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 I agree, yeah. The theme of this pandemic is connection, everybody. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. We need to. Yes. Absolutely. Um, A question as well, uh, Marilyn. Um, Everyone now, so we're in London and in in Norwich? Nottingham. Nottingham, sorry, David, oh my God. So in London, in the rest of the UK, including Nottingham, we're all working from home. Um, you as a, as a scientist, which normally your home is the lab, um, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? <laughs> I can imagine you're not, you're, not going, you're not allowed to go into the lab, right? I'm, I am not, yeah. Feel your so time. <laughs> we have the lockdown at least until April uh, the 3rd. Um, so it's incredible how many things we can do from home. <laughs> <laughs> as a scientist. Yeah. So, first of all, I have some projects in, uh, that I'm moving forward with, uh, especially from the software side that I can do from, from home. So, in our partnership, we have to figure out uh, which are the priorities for us this year with our partner, uh, which are the tasks that we want to, the outcomes that we want from the software tool, and I'm working on it. Everything that they are developing, I have to test first uh, before training new people on this software. So I have to test everything that they release, I have to test first so I can do this from my home. Uh, I have to train people and I can do this using Zoom. We are expanding our automation facility, our biofoundry, uh, to increase the capability of the DNA assembly and NGS pipelines. Uh, so we moved to another floor and I'm putting together some cost analysis for new equipment and what we want to acquire first. What are our bottlenecks in our uh, automation pipeline? So I have to identify these bottlenecks. I have to uh, look for equipment that could help in these bottlenecks. I have to justify the cost, the purchase of this equipment as well to my managers. This is everything I can do from home, right? And it's, it's, kept, it's keeping me pretty busy. And another thing is that I just enrolled in a PhD program as well. Wow. And it's, yeah, in bioenergy, my free time I dedicated for that. And it, it's, main, it's not like a lab-based uh, project. It's okay. more a bioeconomy-focused project in biofuels. And so I can do from my home as well. So there are a lot of different things. Uh, we are doing journal clubs. Oh, wow. I have my regular, yeah, I have my regular uh, group meetings. So yeah, there yeah. is no lack of work. <laughs> yeah, I think I've just, this is just me, like very, I want to ask you so many questions. But one question that has been in my head throughout the whole recording is, with, with computer aided biology, it's very important that we try to open up as to as many people as possible. So, people within software, people in engineering, biologists, data scientists, policy, investment. And I was just curious for you, like, if you envision the computer aided biology community, what types of people would you really like to get to know a bit more um, based on your stage where you are now? I would be very interested in having people that are from the do-it-yourself community involved in this because they are really the entry points for, they really push people to use the tools that are being developed. Mm. And not not only people that are from the do-it-yourself community, but people that have this personality kind of personality because they are really the pushers the 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 ones that want other people using tools that are being developed since the early stage 
they are they're really the drivers for some changes for us to penetrate some laboratories, some people, uh, some scientific groups that we usually cannot. I like when we have business people involved as well because they bring another perspective. I see ourselves as scientists sometimes as a, as dreamers, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. yes. <laughs> but we need some people down to earth uh, to tell us, okay, so you need a plan for it. If you want more people to know about CAB, if you want more people to use the tools that the computational, uh, the computing biology community is producing, is developing, or if you want more people as, I don't know, either developers or users Uh, you need to have a down-to-earth plan and work towards it uh, in an objective way. Good. Awesome. Mm. Wait, David, have you got anything else? No. No? (laughs) (laughs) I think we've we've covered a lot of stuff. I've covered a a lot of great ground here. I would like to advocate at the end of this talk as well for the... We are talking from... Uh, the UK and the US, and we have China as a big player in, in synthetic biology community. But I really want to remember that we have Africa and we have South America and, and uh, Central America as a kind of unexplored field. Mm. And I wish, and I don't know how to do that, Still, I wish we had more. I'll, I'll try with my PhD uh, project to get more of South America and Africa involved in the biofuels and bioenergy energy, uh, field. Not that they are not, but to give them more visibility with yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But I guess um, I wish we had, and we were talking about diversity, I wish we had more people from these places involved in synthetic biology and and everything that involves synthetic biology, all the fields, uh, because we have very smart people there. I don't think we are exploring these different parts of the world and everything they have to offer and vice versa. We are not providing them with our expertise, our technological expertise and everything and I think we should. So so I guess that's my end of talk message. This is so, this ties in perfectly with my final question. Because Great. <laughs> yeah, Marilyn, I want you to just think about a young girl in Sao Paulo, lost <laughs> biology, uh, going back like in your earlier years and now envi- just envisioning someone in Sao Paulo who lost biology. What tips or advice would you give them for them to have a similar career to what you had or mm-hmm. better, but something that they, that you think, okay, young people in those different areas, these are the things that you need to do. In my career, I would say that 25% was my efforts or even less. Mm. And the majority was other people's help. Mm. So I would say that you have to consider that the answer, no, you already have. So go for the the yes. So every time since the prep school, I didn't have money for the prep school. So I would go every single day to ask for a scholarship. And since today, when I talk with other people, I am not afraid to ask. Yeah for help Um, and I'm not afraid to ask for anything really Uh, people are more open to help than we think they are if you think that you are bothering people or if some person is too important to answer you back you're wrong Uh, and you are (laughs) just going to find this out if you ask Uh, so I'm not afraid to ask for anything at least I want to believe that I'm not of course, everybody is. I believe but, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at, at least I, I try to put myself out there and ask for help and support and advice. And that's what I would suggest because 
my efforts and everything, it wasn't easy. There were times that I was sleeping for hours per day. I would say that this is this is way less than the help that I that I got from other people. Yeah. So yeah, go go ahead, talk to people, ask for advice, ask for help. Don't be afraid to reach out. There are amazing, amazing people out there that are keen to to help you and to give you good advice. And I yeah, thanks to these people, I am here today. I think those yeah. are very, very strong messages. Persistence and connection build speak to people. I think that's a great ending. David, I want to speak to me. <laughs> Take us out. Thank you for listening and join us again next month for another quarantine special of Cap Talk. If you want to get involved in the computer-aided biology community, go to computeraidedbiology.com or drop us a line at revolutionaries at computeratedbiology.com.